And it was an amazing night, but then after the gig was over, I was tired. I mean, we played like six or seven hours over two days. And I was sitting on my amplifier next to my car, and I had a horrendous thought, which was, how's tomorrow going to top this? And I remember just sitting there, just being like, oh. like there's no way tomorrow could have been better than today. Has your happiness been defined by what's coming next? Say you have a great day, you get a promotion, win some money, or have some incredible victory. Does that satisfy you? As Pastor Daniel points out today, many times people only enjoy the happiness temporarily. Then they're looking and striving towards the next big thing. It's a never-ending chase of what seems to bring you joy. But true satisfaction and joy can be found. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 5 as he begins his message, Crazy Happy Satisfaction. So unfortunately, we all know what it's like to seek after happiness, to go after things and try and find things that are going to make us fulfilled only to find when we get there, it doesn't get the job done. Am I the only one who's had this experience? Now, I think all of us have in different ways. I call this the hamster wheel of happiness seeking because we're wired to want to be happy. Like I always like to joke that there's a reason McDonald's never sold a sad meal. You know, can you imagine going into McDonald's and being like, hey, can I take four of the sad meals? You know, it comes with a little box of tissues or something. Like nobody would buy that thing, you know? It's like, but we all know what it's like to go after things and be like, this thing is what's gonna make me happy only to realize that it actually can't deliver. This happened to me many, many years ago now. It's still a very pivotal event in my own life because you know, uh, kind of when I was finishing up with college and going on out in the world, all I ever wanted to do was be a professional musician. I just always loved music and loved playing the bass, both the electric and upright bass. And so I graduated college and it was like, okay, I'm gonna pursue this career in music, which my hope would have ended up with, you know, kind of being on the cover of Bass Player Magazine, you know, with my bass, like, what's up, you know, maybe playing a couple stadiums, who knows, you know. But I, I remember in that journey, I really started getting into playing jazz, which is hard horrible for your economic prospects, you know. It's like if you play three chords, you know, you can make millions. And if you play every note on the instrument, you can't make any money. But that's a different discussion. But I remember that, like, I was playing with this trio, some friends of mine, a piano and a drummer. And we had this, like, regular gig at this restaurant. It was every Thursday night. And, and it was a cool gig because we were just out of college and they'd give us a meal and they'd give us some money. So it's like you got a free meal and, like, 50 bucks. And so like one nice meal the week would, would sustain me as a 19-year-old guy. And I was getting paid to play. And we would play these three-hour gigs just playing, you know, jazz at this restaurant. And it was a, a fun gig. And I'll never forget this one Thursday night. We were just finishing up our third set. So we've been playing for a long time. And all of a sudden we see a friend of ours walk in with these two guys and they're both carrying horn cases. One guy's got a trumpet case and one guy's got a saxophone case. 
And we were just not used to seeing that. We were like, hey, I wonder who these guys are. So sure enough, after we finished, our friend came over and said, hey, I want to introduce, I met these guys in the airport and they asked me where I could find some music. And so I said, hey, my buddies play down at this restaurant. Why don't you come on down? And when they introduced themselves, right as we saw these guys, we actually knew who they were because they were guys who we loved listening to. So the guy with the saxophone, his name was Wessel Anderson. Wessel Anderson's nickname was Warm Daddy because his saxophone tone was so warm that like, like, like he didn't give himself that name. Other people called him Warm Daddy, you know? And so the tone was so beautiful. And this trumpet player's name was Marcus Printump. And we had been listening to these guys for years. These were phenomenal musicians. And they're like, hey, we're in town because we're playing at this festival tomorrow. And we would love to play. Would you guys like, you want to play some more? And it was so cool because we went over to the owner of the restaurant and said, hey, these guys are here and they're phenomenal players. Can we play a little bit more? And we ended up playing two more hours that night. And it was a blast. I mean, these phenomenal horn players with piano, bass, and drums, it was just unbelievable. And so they were like, hey, so we're playing this festival tomorrow. Do you want to come? And they were actually playing in Wynton Marsalis's big band, which is one of the premier big bands in the world. And Wynton's band was playing at this festival. He's like, so listen, come. We'll put you on the guest list. You'll come backstage. You'll meet everybody. And it'll be a blast. We're like, great. And so the next day we go down, we're meeting all like our heroes in music. At some point, one of the guys is like, are those the guys you were playing with? Yeah, and like, where are we gigging tonight? It's like, oh, we're gigging tonight? Yeah, we'll have a place to play. So we called up the restaurant again, and we said, hey, all these guys from Wynton Marcellus's big band wants to play music tonight. Can we come and play? And they're like, absolutely. Like, well, listen, tell everybody. And we showed up a couple hours later, and this restaurant was wall-to-wall people. Just like everyone's there, and 10 of the 15 guys in Wynton Marcellus's big band were all there. And we played for like four hours just playing like old school funk tunes, you know, just kind of grooving on different things. And it was a blast because like there was a couple drummers there. I was in another bass player who I looked up to was there and we were switching in and out. There was horn players everywhere. And for like three hours, it was like the coolest. It was like I had dreamed about this. I had moments there when I'm playing when I'm like, you know, I'm normally a happy person, but it was like I, like I was like frozen in joy because I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And it was an amazing night. But then after the gig was over, I was tired. I mean, we'd played like six or seven hours over two days. And I was sitting on my amplifier next to my car. And I had a horrendous thought, which was, how's tomorrow going to top this? And I remember just sitting there just being like, like there's no way tomorrow could have been better than today. And right there, I, like, I realized something because I had begun walking with Jesus uh, about a year earlier and I realized I'm like, uh-oh, this is a problem because I had devoted my life for the last five years to get to this point only to realize that once I've had this experience, what can top that? And I realized that what I've been looking for happiness in, real fulfillment, music the way that I was experiencing it wasn't going to give me that. And what I found is that as you look around different places, everybody lands this. It's like you win the Super Bowl. But then the next day, the quest for the second Super Bowl starts. Or the eighth. Right? Like, it's like you get there, but it's not fulfilled. There's always the next step. Right? Like maybe you win the MVP or you get that promotion, but then the, the next quest begins. And for a lot of us, if you look at our lives, our lives are different seasons of being on that hamster wheel, hoping to find fulfillment in a place, only to find that that fulfillment is fleeting. 
You know, and in a lot of ways, this is why I wrote the book Crazy Happy, and this is why we're exploring some of the themes of Crazy Happy, because God knows that we're gonna seek after happiness in happenings and things, but really happiness is a person, and his name is Jesus, and it comes from us learning how to find our identity in Jesus so that we can enjoy things but not try and find our fulfillment in them. And, you know, we've called 2021 here at Crossroads a year of restoration. And the very first theme is restoring the soul, where we, I believe God wants to rebuild happiness and wholeness in each one of our lives, given what we have been going through and what we are going through. And one of the things that's been making me so excited about what God has been doing here at Crossroads over the last number of months is, and really as we've been talking about crazy happy, is just the simple awareness that every time you read in your Bible, the blessed person, the blessed person, that you are starting to say the happy person does this. Because Jesus and the scriptures have already explained to us God's plan for happiness. But instead of listening to what the Bible says or what Jesus says, we have a tendency to listen to what our culture says. And our culture sees happiness as trivial things, superficial things. In a lot of ways, our culture sells happiness with advertisements. And for many of us, because to quote Madonna, we're living in a material world and we are material girls (laughs) or boys, you know? It's like we have a tendency like, oh man, I'll be happy when I take this step, when I get this thing. And really what Jesus wants to do for all of us is he wants to bring us to a place where we realize that happiness is not something outside, it's something inside. And it's not based on stuff, it's based on who Jesus is and who we are in him. And so I love getting to explore this together with us as a church family. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna take verses seven to 12, the kind of the second portion of those beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Matthew 5. Matthew's the first book in your New Testament. Chapter 5 is, it's really Jesus' first extended teaching, maybe his most famous teaching. One of the things I love so much about talking about the beatitudes, of course, is, you know, even if someone doesn't know anything about Jesus, they know some of these. Like, it's like his most famous teaching and the most famous section of teaching. And, and it's really wild when you realize that each time it says, Jesus gives these nine examples of the happy person, the fulfilled person, the blessed person. Now, we're gonna be picking up in verse seven, but I wanna remind you that there has this been progression, and we've already talked about the first four, that it begins with humility, the poverty of spirit. And that poverty of spirit leads us to mourning, which is the second beatitude for our own brokenness and sinfulness and the brokenness and sinfulness of the world. And because of our own poverty of spirit, which is the beginning of happiness, and because God now incorporates grieving and sadness and mourning into how we see happiness, now we move through the world in meekness, which is the third beatitude, right? And meekness is strength under control. It's, it's what is the antithesis or the opposite of being aggressive, being manipulative being tyrannical, because of our awareness of our lack and because of our sadness, because of what it means, now we move through the world differently. And then ultimately the fourth beatitude we land on is where it says that, oh, how happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
And in a lot of ways, the fourth beatitude is kind of like the tipping point because as we grieve because of our own brokenness and poverty of spirit and the brokenness that that creates in the world, we walk with meekness and then we're like, we start longing for what is right because we see so much wrong. And ultimately, our hunger and thirst finds its home in righteousness, which leads us to Jesus because only Jesus is the person who always does what pertains to what is right. And when we come to Jesus, happy is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness because now we're fulfilled in Jesus. And then as the Beatitudes continue on, now everything that happens is an overflow of the fulfillment that comes when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, which leads us to Jesus. Does that make sense? So really, once you get to the fourth beatitude, things start to turn for us, and then you begin to see these qualities of the blessed person, the happy person, that is truly a beautiful way of moving through the world. Notice what it says, verse seven. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, I would say to you this way, that a satisfied soul loves mercy. There's a love of what mercy is. Now, the simplest definition of the word mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's the simplest definition. I remember, I never really thought about the word mercy until I saw the movie Braveheart. And there's that very challenging scene at the end of the movie where William Wallace is now dying for his insurrection against uh, England. And literally, he's being tortured, and then the crowd starts crying out, mercy. You know? And like, I mean, I'd heard the word, but I never really thought about what it meant. And really what the idea was is at some point within what was going on, the people saw, you know, this suffering is so great, it's time to to let him off now. It's been enough now. And the idea of mercy is when you choose not to give people what they deserve. Now again, you see how now the happy person does never feels the need to give someone what they think they deserve. Now, can we just all just admit we feel that sometimes? I hope they get what they deserve. Now, you guys are good Christian folks, so you might never say that. But inside, you think that sometimes, right? Oh man, they're gonna get theirs. That is not mercy. That's actually justice. Justice is giving somebody what they deserve, right? But really what we realize is that as Jesus is fulfilling our hearts, our happiness is found in not us making sure people get what they deserve, but us choosing not to give them what they deserve. So someone speaks to us harshly and we return with a kind word. Somebody chooses to be mean towards us and we not only receive that, but we instead we bless them in return. All of these are examples of mercy. And really what it's saying is, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And so really the idea here is we end up giving to other people what God has given to us. Now, there's one thing that I love so much about following Jesus is the fact that I love Jesus, but I'm aware that I'm still a total train wreck. Like, I love God because he first loved me. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he died across for my sins, and I believe that he rose again. And because I believe that, I am still very aware of the fact that I fail in a million ways every single day. 
And I am constantly aware that although I fail, God never gives me what I deserve. If I got what I deserve, if I got what I was entitled to, the only thing that I get is separation from God in hell. But God didn't give me that, did he? God doesn't give you that, does he? He gives you what you didn't deserve. And that's the whole thing. And when you experience the mercy of God, then we want to be able to pay it forward, so to speak. And not not like we get it now, we give it, but it's like it flows into our lives by the Spirit because of who Jesus is. And then we start saying to ourselves, I'm not going to do to them what they did to me. I'm going to do better to them than what they did to me. And this whole heart concept of mercy is radical in a world that only wants to give you worse than you deserve. Like our culture is bent on escalation and bringing pain to people. And the people of God have a whole different mindset because Jesus didn't do that with us. I was thinking about that. I was just talking to my bride about this recently. I remember when I was invited to to join the pastoral ministry as a young leader. And I remember I had to go before the elders of the church, the church board for ordination. And I'll never forget it because I was so racked with shame and guilt over my past. And I remember I was just like, the enemy was on me and I was just really struggling. And I thought to myself, I could never be a pastor. And a couple days before this elder meeting where I'm gonna have to talk to these godly leaders and men in, in the church that I was a part of. And I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor John Henry, I can't do this. I can't be a pastor. And I just started like listing like the really bad highlights of the Fusco story. And there was a lot of them. I mean, it was, it was like a, a documentary. Multi-parts, you know what I mean? Like, this is talking about which season and what was a, what was a mess. And I'll never forget because my, my pastor got mad at me which I hadn't seen before. But he got mad at me in a righteous way because he said, Daniel, if God has forgotten this, who are you to remember it anymore? And I was just like, oh. And I think there's a word for somebody here today. Because literally, God has taken those mistakes and separated them as far as you are as the east is from the west. But we have a tendency to never let anybody off the hook for these things. But really what he's saying is like, Daniel, God has been merciful to you. You can be merciful to yourself. And in a world full of broken people, mercy sticks out like a sore thumb because you won't find it anywhere. But it should be the characteristics of the people of God. And of course, Psalm 18, verses 25 and 26 says it this way. With the merciful God, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless You will show yourself blameless with the pure. You will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. It's a powerful verse, really. God meets mercy with mercy. Now, from there, and and there's so much we can talk about, but we want to cover the rest of the Beatitudes today. It says this in verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I would say to you this way, that purity focuses your vision. See, purity focuses your your vision. And really, oh, how happy is the pure in heart. Now you have to realize that the purity of heart that this is speaking about is not something we do to ourselves. It's what Jesus has done to us in 
giving us mercy, giving us grace, applying the spirit of God to our lives. His death on the cross purifies the human heart. As I like to say, God has a strange color wheel. Crimson red sin plus the red blood of Jesus equals white as snow. So once a person comes to Jesus, then God does a work of purifying our hearts. And when our hearts are pure, notice, oh, how happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I think that this is really important because what God wants for each one of us, what God wants for me and what he wants for you is that as you move through this messed up, broken, confusing, challenging world, that you see him at work in all of it. There's an old saying that I heard that if you can't see God in everything, you probably can't see him in anything. Because God is an ever-present help in time of need, because God never sleeps nor slumbers, because he is always with you, that at every turn of your life, no matter how good or bad it is, he is there. The key for us is awareness. And one of the reasons we are not aware of the presence of God is because we have a tendency to let all the confusing things take our awareness as opposed to keeping our awareness focused on Jesus. But as God grows us up in the experience of the purification that he wants to do in each one of us, we begin to see his fingerprints, his handiwork in the midst of the stuff. Between the pandemic, the election, the civil unrest is like, Jesus is real. Like, he's still king no matter what. Like, he hasn't left anybody. He's the sovereign over everything. And it was amazing how much I needed to really make sure that we kept reminding ourselves of these things. Because, man, to watch people fly off the handle as if stuff is happening that Jesus isn't in control of was really odd to me. It was like, wait, but you're solid in Jesus. Like, why are you freaking out? You know? But can we just be honest? We all freaked out a little bit in different ways. So I was on the journey too of just like, no, no, I want to see Jesus in these things. And I think we have a tendency to see Jesus in the good things and divorce Jesus from the bad things. But you have to remember in the bad things, Jesus is present and real doing a work of redemption in the bad things. It's not that Jesus wants the bad things. Jesus leverages the bad things to bring good things. And as we trust him, our hearts are, we're, we start to walk in the purity that he's given us. And this is what the Bible calls sanctification, really. Sanctification, it's a big word, write it down if you play words with friends or Scrabble. It's got lots of syllables, you'll do good. You know what I mean? You get lots of points for the word. But literally what it means, it, it means our experience at street level of what God has already done in our hearts. Jesus is Pastor Daniel talked today about mercy and purity of heart and how they apply to you as a follower of Jesus. Both of these characteristics were exhibited by your Savior and they're what he wants for you too. But neither can be done in your own power. 
Human nature wants justice and happiness, even if it's temporary and could lead to sin. Instead, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to be filled with the love of Jesus and let mercy and a pure heart follow as a natural result. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will talk with you more about what it means to grow in your relationship with Jesus. He'll remind you that salvation is only the starting point. There's a lot more to learn as you move forward in this new life. This growth happens over time as you discover more and more about who Jesus is and more about your identity as his follower. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Crazy Happy. Until then, may God bless.